0: Hello everyone, welcome to another wonderful episode of SecTools Podcast by Infosec Campus. I am very happy to welcome OJ Reeves, the one and only Colonial, the guy behind MetaPretter, as you know. I am very happy to welcome him uh, for this episode. Thanks for uh, accepting the time uh, for you for your busy schedule. Yeah, no uh, dramas. So talk to no us. dramas.
1: Always happy to help and uh, I mean, give people some visibility of what goes on, and hopefully it'll inspire them to get involved and do their bit.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, to to start with, um, okay. Let me let me start with a confession to make you. Um, initially, when I was actually thought of approaching you, of course, mm. you were in like one of my top lists to uh, have a call with um, and and set up a podcast with. Um, initially, when I was thought talk- thinking about this uh probably few months back. Mm -hmm. Um I I was a bit like step back and then say like I don't know how he's going to respond. Probably (laughs) this is quite new. And I don't know if that kind of a star stuck moment is quite obvious for you. You get that true offense or is it just me? I
1: I do actually get it, yeah, but I I don't understand it. I mean I'm to be honest I'm I'm just another guy. I'm just like you. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm sitting at home in front of my computer, probably just like you're sitting at home, sitting in front of your computer. You know, we're we're all here for uh, the same reason, and we're all here to learn. We're all here to share. I think, um, you know, I, I realize that I have a probably a more public profile than quite a few other people who work in security purely because of some of the things that I've worked on. But you know, I'm I'm just another guy, man. Just another guy, just like you and the whole starstruck thing is is really unnecessary.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's so sweet of you man. Um, but um yeah I mean your work has been definitely inspiring a lot of people in the communities and 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 so many people actually look up to the the work you did uh, both on like meta or in mm-hmm. the, the work that you do it in general or Thanks, probably to here. <laughs> yeah, especially uh, once I think uh, you started launching the streaming. Um, it, it's it's so cool to see that something that really really raw, and you you get to see how people actually make mistakes, but how they overcome it. That's some learning phase we lack probably in in traditional learning. I would say because we we are kind of come up with a material that is well drafted. We are prepared. But this is something that unplanned and you just pick up some random binaries, fuzz it and see where it crashed. Sometimes it doesn't crash.
1: Exactly. Sometimes you,
0: yeah, that, that's that's a very cool approach that you, you picked up. It's a very interesting piece of work you de- you're doing. I'm,
1: I'm flattered to hear you say that, mate. It, it, was, um, it was something that myself and a close friend of mine who lives in Melbourne down in Australia as well talked about prior to kicking things off. And we found exactly what you've just described. There's, there was something lacking in the way that we exposed ourselves and exposed our content. And blog posts are a perfect example of this. They start with, here is the thing that I wanted to do and here is the perfect path from A to B to C. to D. There we go. There it is. That's all you need to know. Um, and while that's really interesting and you can see how people abused the flaws that they found and uh, the little tricks that they adopted along the way to get to where they needed to be, what you don't see is how difficult it was for them to do it what you don't see is the multiple paths that ended up in a dead end the the tricks that they thought that they could apply at a certain point that just didn't work you know you don't see any of that and so what happens is there is a picture that's painted of people that's perfect you know you see these people do these things and you read their blogs and you go wow these guys and girls they're amazing and they do things so quickly and they do it without making mistakes like I'm, I'm never going to get to that point and for me, what I, I mean, I was getting a lot of contact from people saying, "Wow, you know, this is really great stuff." And how do you manage to do it so efficiently? And you know, you don't make any mistakes. And I thought that, that's rubbish. I make so many mistakes; it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, and so, what what I love about this is that not only do people learn a lot from the process that I follow in my head as I'm as I'm just sort of bashing my way through stuff. Um, thankfully, what it's doing is it's it's reducing the gap between them and me. It's reduce. it's taking away that sort of, that starstruck thing. And it's like, hey, you know, this guy makes as many mistakes as I do. He, you know, he's fumbling as much as I do. And, and hopefully that makes him think, I can do this too. And I'm not as intimidated as I was to pick up the challenge or to strive to sort of get to where that person is. Um, mm-hmm. And so the, the raw sort of aspect of, of streaming is it's really humbling. It's it's a lot more human than just producing a video or a blog post that, that talks about the one and only path to, to victory. So and the feedback I've got from it has been really really good. Anyway, I didn't mean to rant too long about that, but that's sort of where it comes from.
0: Yeah, I think I think good part is then you make it like online public once the live streaming is done, and then people still see uh, the complete raw videos of how you make mistakes and how you are right. it. And then that process is quite good and and feasible for pretty much everyone in the in the world uh can pick up on their timelines and then see when they want to right exactly that
1: exactly that and i I make a point of just exporting the video directly to youtube and leaving it as is yeah even though i could probably go through and chop it up and remove bits but you know the bits that you remove are often the most valuable you know that ah oh, crap you know i was gonna do this and i thought that would have been great but because of this thing over here or the fact that this address or the no biden it or something you know those bits and pieces are often more valuable than than the, the path to victory at the end of the day
0: yeah i think what you what you mentioned before that maybe uh the approach that you picked up in uh, streaming those videos and then and, and then keeping it like raw as much as possible are mm. uh, pretty much like 100 percent role there is no edit at all <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly uh so i think i think yeah that's that's that could be one of the reasons that pushed me maybe to reach out to you <laughs>
1: really? well i'm glad you did mate i'm glad you know i would hate to think that there would be any barrier between people reaching out to me um and, and people not you know much rather than sort of go you know hey i'm i'm happy to reach out to that guy because he's not going to treat me like crap He's not going to assume that I know nothing. I feel like a noob, but I don't want to be treated like one. Like I've said this to so many people. It doesn't matter how old or young you are. It doesn't matter how experienced or inexperienced you are. It doesn't matter about your gender or anything like that. Everyone has something they can learn, and everyone has something they can teach. And you just have to be open to it, right?
0: Yeah, so that's, that's true. That's true. I, th- I think when I was when I was messaging you first time, just mm-hmm. to see if we are interested or not. Uh, you send me a reply back on the same day, maybe in another two, three minutes, and I'm like, wow, this guy is responding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was like leaving the message. I, I, a couple of times, I actually typed the message, and it's like, no, not this time. Maybe I'll make up some contents, some good content, and then, and then approach him with more. Like more values, he would no, say. No, it's fine.
1: It's <laughs> fine. You know, you're human too, right? I, I like human messages. They don't have to be some over the top business style. Hey, you know, I've demonstrated an enormous amount of effort just to feel like I'm worthy of your time. Like, you you don't need to do that. Um, you know, I mean, I think there are cases where, you know, if people are looking for a certain piece of information, or they bash their head against a problem for a serious period of time, if they come to me out of the blue and say, "Hey, I need help." I'm trying to solve X, how do I solve it? Then chances are I'm gonna say, try harder. But if they come to me and they say, I'm trying to solve X and I've done A, B, C, D, and E, and I've tried combining D and E to get F and I just can't get anywhere, and I think this might be the area that I've got a problem in, and clearly they're demonstrating to me that they've tried themselves, and so I'm happy to give them a the nudge. But in this case, this is a completely different scenario, you know, like, hey, you know, I just want to have a chat, are you wanna have a chat? I'm like, yeah, absolutely, no problem
0: yeah yeah i i remember like maybe maybe a few years back when i was actually uh, studying about uh metasploit maybe module developments uh yeah, in yeah. a very very initial stage and uh, we we were discussing with other researchers uh in the same team and then then i i recommended somebody that hey if you want to actually have a module created for metaproters maybe you should reach out to Oji and he's the right guy uh, uh, I think they they were they were definitely hesitant enough to actually reach out to you, not because you don't respond back or something, but they right. they think that oh this guy I don't know if I need to disturb him he must be working or he must be busy, <laughs> so it, it keeps happening. Uh, yeah, and yeah, it I realized it myself when I was actually re- messaging you first time, then I deleted the whole message like not this time maybe next time. <laughs> right. Well, you
1: needn't have that fear anymore. Feel free to reach out there at any time, and, and if I'm busy, you know, obviously I I may take a little bit of time to respond. But if I'm available, then you'll probably
0: get me fairly quickly. Right, right. I think I think that's good to hear that. Um, uh, not many people are actually actually very reachable, but it's 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 great to see people are doing amazing job, and they are they are very very reachable. They are very approachable to the whole community.
1: I I agree, man. I think we need to see more of it.
0: You yeah, know, there are
1: there are, a key, there are a few people I think. Um, who who might make that difficult, and I'm sure they have their own reasons. But, yeah, um, yeah, of course. You know, I would like to see I would like to see more and more people sort of opening their arms a little bit and being being open to contact from various individuals, because you know, I mean, I mean, let me give you one example. Actually, a little while ago, quite a few years ago, I had um, out of the blue contact from a guy by the name of Matt Nelson, who goes by the twiddle handle uh, Enigma. 0x03 zero zero or 0x3, you know, Matt Nelson, he works at Ops. Mm-hmm. Yep. So this was prior to Matt Nelson being known by anybody. Um, mm-hmm. and, and he was chatting to me and asking me questions and whatnot. And he was, you know, he was really friendly and he was honest. And he was open and we had a bit of back and forth. And, you know, I helped him out where I could. Not not that he needed a lot of help from me. But, um, you know, look at where he is. Uh, he yeah. is—he is a very well-known guy. He's done some amazing research, and you know, I get to sit back and go, "Hey, you know, I—I I had some very tiny part to play in that." Yeah. it's lovely to see people sort of come out of nowhere, talk to you, learn something—even if it's really, really small—and then move on and do really, really great things. You know, that—that's a very fulfilling and humbling sort of experience. Um, even though, like I said, i mean, met. Matt's Matt and he, he went off and, and did his thing and, and I'm sure that nothing that I said or did along the way um, had any bearing on what he's become but it's just kind of nice to know you go, hey I knew that guy before he was famous right and, and we talked and, and he was a nice guy and I felt like I contributed something um, and I think more and more people would benefit from that if they were just a little bit more open to contact from from random people so fingers crossed that we see it more and more over time.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> that's true um but uh h- how is your your all journey started uh, how did you start your your infosec entry well
1: um that's that's an interesting question i i started um as a nerd when i was seven years old wow um, so i i lived yeah I, I lived the privileged existence right my my family was um was wealthy enough to have a computer when i was uh, a, a small child so I had a Commodore VIC-20 when I was seven years old, and um, it, it only took a few months after getting this machine to go from, hey, I want to play games, through to, how does this thing work? And basically, that was how it all started. From there, I, I mucked around with the next version, which was a Commodore 64 when we managed to get one of those. And um, that's when I really started mucking around with coding, um, peeking and poking on the old, old school basic and then trying to get the computer to do my bidding. Um, Sort of fast forward in my teenage years, I I got really heavily involved in just writing ad hoc code. I've written more crap code than you could possibly imagine, like a lot. In fact, I still write a lot of crap code. So back then I wrote a lot, a lot of crap code and it was all a learning experience and it was C and C and basic and and whatnot through high school. And then when I started at at university in Sydney, this was in the year 1997, um, I was doing a computer science degree and in my spare time I lived in a debugger called Soft Ice, New Mega Ice, which completely changed my life. Yeah. Um so this this was back when you know, I spent a lot of time just reverse engineering software copy protection mechanisms and you know, doing crack me's and reverse me's and, and things like that just for kicks and just because I wanted to know how things worked. But when when it came to starting work i I didn't actually work in security at all my first job was the software engineer at a firm that built accountancy software and um and then from there for the next sort of 14 or so years it was all software development and behind the scenes i had this security interest so it would bubble away and i would no, I would play around with um, with new sort of hacking techniques as they came out. I still remember reading the Format String paper when it first came out. I used to play... Um, what was it called? Before it became Over the Wire. Mm-hmm. It was a site similar to Over the Wire um, and similar to Smash the Stack. I can't remember what it was called. But back then they basically had, had one of those where you could SSH in and you go through the different Privilege Escalation exploits to sort of move through the levels. Mm-hmm. So I was playing around a lot with, with those, but you know my primary focus as far as work was concerned was all building software. Um, and then there, there just came a time where I was working as a consultant, working in enterprise software, and I found it just draining and I wasn't really getting enjoyment out of it like I used to. And I decided, well, let's go and do something that I've had a pretty long-term interest in and, and that was security. So um, I was running a, a development consultancy at that time. And so what I did was I just rebranded my business into a security consultancy and, and tried starting working as a security person. Um, prior to doing that, though, I, I went through the, the process of acquiring OSCP, which I learned a, a heck of a lot through. Yep. And then after that, I did the OSCE certification too. The funny thing was for me that I found OSCP easier sorry, harder than OSCE because it would spent so much time doing binary-related stuff that all the sort of network-based pen testing stuff was the hard stuff. Um, I didn't even know what NMAP, NMAP was when I first started doing the labs um, in, the, in the offsec lab. So, you know, there was a huge learning experience for me with that. Um, and then when I moved into the OSCE area, the binary side wasn't quite so tough. So off the back of that, I... Um, Basically, had a lucky break one day. I, I came home after a particularly tough day at work, and uh, I was pretty frustrated with how things had gone. and And I sat down and and I read Twitter. and At the time, I was following Sinner, and I still follow Sinner. So he's one of the devs on on the Metasploit project.
0: Yeah, I think he's the longest term dev there now. Actually, he's, he's been there. For yeah, very I think Sinner Sinner only joined second, I guess. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's a super
1: nice dude. And he, was, he tweeted a message that said, hey, you know, we're looking for help on a thing. And, uh, and there was a link to a Reddit thread. So I thought, oh, I wonder what that is. So I clicked on that and uh, this Reddit thread opened up. Um, and the post was written by a guy called Todd Beardsley, who at the time was like the engineering manager mm-hmm. on the Manusploid project. And it basically said, we're looking for someone to help with interpreter. These are the skills this person needs to have, and this is what we need to do. And um, it would be preferable if that person was based in Austin, in Texas, because you know, so we could do the lunch thing, and whatnot. Um, And it was a contract position. So I thought, hey, you know, I I reckon I could give this a pretty, pretty decent go. And I emailed Todd and said, look, um, I'm keen to throw my hat in the ring for this but I don't live in Austin. I, I live in Australia. Is the time zone or the remote working thing going to be a problem? And he responded with, nope, really don't care about your location, to be honest. You know, if you, if you feel you've got the chops, then send your CV over and we'll go back from there. And uh, so I threw my hat in the ring, and to cut a long and relatively boring story short, I ended up getting the contract. And that's basically when I started working on the and that was, I think, in 2013.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, se-
1: yeah, September 2013, I think, was my was my first foray into development of interpreter. So th- that's basically where it started. And then from there, off the back of my time doing certifications with OffSec and getting a little bit of visibility as a as a developer in the security space, I started getting contact from various companies asking for security related consulting work. And that's when the business started off. So, and here I am. Here I am still going.
0: So, so <laughs> when when you started with MetaProtter work, uh, were yeah. you already being familiar with maybe Windows internals or rather Ruby uh, as a programming language?
1: Good questions. Um, I, I was very familiar with Ruby. I've done a fair bit of web dev in Ruby. So I was familiar with the syntax. I was familiar with the structure. Um, I hadn't worked with a code base as large as Metasploit, and Metasploit uses some fairly quirky edge case features yeah. of Ruby that I wasn't familiar with. It's um, you know, it's sort of a bit, bit of a baptism of fire when diving into certain areas of the code, but I think that's the case with any large and complex system. As far as Meterpreter is concerned, yes. I was very, very familiar with Windows dev, low-level Windows dev, Win32 API, uh, a lot of, uh, of how processes work the threads will work and how they're implemented in windows and and how they interact and the the threading models the permission model the some of the security related models but the irony was that, that during my interview uh, the interview that i had was with um i think todd Beardsley was on the call i had egypt on the call mm-hmm. and i had the light cosine sorry not yeah the light cosine, light cosine. So so dave maloney um, James Lee and Todd Beardsley and I think Sinner may well have been on the call too and when it started I thought you know the first three questions I failed miserably at they said um, have you ever contributed to this before uh, no have you ever contributed to an interpreter before and uh, no um, and so I thought oh, great this is a really bad start and then they um, they asked me a question do you know what reflective DLL injection is and I said no <laughs> and then I started laughing and I said, this is going really well so far, hey. Um, thankfully, they laughed about it as well. Um, so I, I wasn't familiar with a lot of what an interpreter did and how it did it. But I was pretty confident that um, you know, the, the amount of time that I'd spent building applications on Windows in Win32 and mucking around with assembly and, and things like that, that I'd be able to ramp up pretty quickly and uh and actually add some value to the process and thankfully that proved to be the case so um
0: i didn't let them down
1: at least i don't think i let them down.
0: no definitely not I mean, <laughs> it's, it's been it's been a great uh great phase to see how metaprotters have actually progressed and often we we you know discuss between colleagues that okay you know this guy actually work on metaprotters and like what is there anything left to work on Metafriddle still? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I it's super that, yeah, so optimized. Is yeah, yeah, always something? <laughs> yeah, so it's, like, it's it's always optimized. Uh, I mean, they, they didn't they couldn't see any any other areas the the tool can be developed or the model can be developed further. Mm-hmm. So like, it's like there are always improvements. Uh, it's it's great to see your work um, on Metafriddle definitely.
1: Yeah, thanks, Matt. I think um, it's probably fair to say that as Windows becomes more and more locked down difficult to abuse um, that you're going to start to see more and more edge cases appear in the code base i mean when i first started working on the interpreter it was able to run as a 64-bit application but there was there were quite a number of bugs in the app due to the fact that there were assumptions about the bitness of the architecture that the process was actually running under so we had God knows how many pointer truncation bugs, you know, truncating 64-bit pointers down to 32-bit and getting crashes as a result of those. So you know, there was a period of time where we just went on a rampage, clearing out as many of the truncation issues as we could find. And we found some We found some in the migration code. We found some in incognito. You know, they were, they were everywhere. Um, there's and, and in that code base, there's a lot of code that sort of has to say, well, you know, if I'm Windows XP, then I need to do this. If I'm Windows 2000, I need to this. Um, and for all the up-to-date OSs, then we can just sort of fall back on a general case. So as, as we sort of progress into you know Windows 10 and Windows 2016, and then we start to see more mitigations and, and smarts coming out of things like Windows Defender, and we can no longer do things like allocate a memory page that's RWX and just expect everything to work. So now we're going to have to start making adjustments where we will initially allocate a page as read-write and put the stuff in it that we want and then change that page to read and executable so that we can actually kick off the thread on it. So small things like that we're already seeing. And I think over time, more and more stuff like that is going to come about where we're actually going to have to do a much better job of looking like a standard application rather than blatantly being
0: uh, malicious for want of a better expression. Yeah, yeah. Um, did
1: that make sense? I
0: hope that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I've not actually gone too details into the code itself, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, 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 did work on definitely metasploids and meta critter. Yeah, um, uh, that's cool. that's quite obvious. Um, and um, I, I, one of the uh, one of the um, not really a papers, but just one article that I actually wrote very long back, um, mm-hmm. maybe I don't know five or six years back, uh, by knowing how MetaProtter actually works or how um, what, what the process actually behind is, and then I try to create something like me, how to how to do post-exportations on Windows if you don't have MetaProtter right. options and yep. um, I, I think I published that on ExploitDB if I'm not wrong um, okay. uh, that's like very very long back and that's a very basic uh, options that something like maybe hashtag or or uh, screenshots, or maybe pull right. files, or something like that. You could how how you could simulate the same thing with a flat vanilla on, uh, Windows uh, command prompts. And uh, I would say that doing that with Windows, uh, it's kind of an experience of learning how. Uh, it's an it's an experience of learning of printers and then do it in, with Windows uh, command prompt. That's that's the kind of learning I did on that time. Uh, it was fun. All right.
1: Yeah, that, well, that stuff is really, really good and it's really interesting because, you know, as we, as we move forward and, and more of the well-known tools get fingerprinted in court and court and that kind of stuff, having the ability to do these things in multiple ways is is going to get you through the jobs that you're working on. If you don't have that breadth of knowledge, then, you know, you will get caught. I mean, in, in the job that, that we do, um, myself and my partner in crime, Sean, we, we, do, we use all of the things. We use Interpreter and Metasploit. We use Empire... We use Cobalt Strike. We use custom tools. We do stuff that just lives straight off the land. Um, you have to be able to use all these things in conjunction with each other. Otherwise, you you basically will get caught in some way. So more posts like what you wrote are very much welcome. I say.
0: Yeah, uh, I, when I I was writing it, it was just a pure learning phase, just for myself. Mm. And I thought, just publish it. I mean, just be there on the internet because I might delete it from my system. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> then I think um, I don't know maybe one or two years back and someone actually reached out to me and said that hey uh, I, I referred to your papers when he was doing some OACP materials or OACP right. things because uh, technically you're not allowed to de- use metasploids in right. um, yeah. in all the machines and only one is allowed if not wrong yep I remember uh, that yeah so uh, those things I mean I, I then that time I realized that oh I had a paper like that okay fine <laughs> yeah
1: yeah exactly exactly and, and I've, I've had a similar experience. It's really nice, isn't it, to hear people say, hey, I read that, and that was that was really useful. So yeah, thanks for
0: that. Yeah, never thought, uh, never intended to be something like that. But uh, yeah, it just happened for good. Exactly. Exactly that.
1: Yeah, well, good on you, mate. You should write more.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, and, and then from Ruby, you just change to golang i don't know uh, that was the switch or
1: <laughs> well i wouldn't necessarily say change look um as far as the ruby stuff is concerned i'm not gonna lie and i have made this knowledge public in a few circles so it, it's not um it won't come as a surprise to some people who will hear this but i actually am not a fan of ruby as a language for a number of reasons mm-hmm. um so i would not choose to use ruby for any tool I would build from scratch. So obviously, I mean, Metasploit was originally written in Perl, and it yep. was ported over to Ruby. And, um, and there are a number of, of sane reasons for doing that. And um, you know, one of those is about community contributions. So back then, the, the number of options you had available were fairly limited, and you wanted to produce a tool in a language that is most likely to get adopted. Or most likely to receive the, a large number of com, contributions from community members and and Ruby was fairly accessible I think compared to some other some of the other options and I think you know Python had been done to death and still continues okay. to get beaten to death with so many uh, other tools so you know, Ruby was was the choice and as a result of it being in Ruby there have been a significant number of contributions from security people who don't have a development background because, the barrier of entry is is quite low which is great but for me um like i said in the first 14 years of my professional life I was building software and during that time i became a little bit of a functional programming advocate and so the idea of working in languages like ruby is often considered that ab- abhorrent <laughs> it's not something that you want to experience so um yeah look you know i, I realize the irony of saying that um And then having me turn around and go, so I decided to build a tool using Golang, which isn't a functional language at all. But to be honest, I I built that that tool in Go for two primary reasons. Um, So the the tool is obviously GoBuster. And and the reasons I use Golang, first of all, was for me to play with it more. I only really dabbled in it for a few very small tools that I, I use behind the scenes. Um, I, I did that because I wanted to sort of get get a bit more of a deeper understanding of it. Um, and because I'd, I'd read enough about its um, parallelism slash concurrency primitives, and I was interested to see how well that they would perform compared to the equivalent primitives that you see in things like Python, Ruby, or, or other functional mm-hmm. languages. And um, it was a thought exercise that basically became a tool, and I decided to release that tool as an open source tool, in case other people found it valuable, and it turns out that they did.
0: Yes, definitely. <laughs> Which is nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: So, I mean, this this tool—it um, started out as a just a directory brute bruteforcer, and I hated the options that were available. They felt slow. A lot of them had fat Java GUIs that I really didn't want. I just wanted a console-based thing that was quick, and and that's basically why gobuster was built. And then a friend of mine, Ryan, who lives in Canberra, decided to add the DNS lookup capability, and sort of from there, it's it's evolved, and there's been you know a couple of dozen contributors, and there are a bunch of open pull requests that I really need to prioritize and, and get to. But you know, it's it's nice to see that a lot of people have got value out of it and are starting to contribute things back. So um, with a bit of luck, this thing will will continue to grow, and, and I think I might even get some other people who are fairly regular contributors to to actually give them commit rights so that they can become a, a maintainer of the project as well and hopefully that will breathe some life into the the pr cycle so that when people contribute stuff it actually gets into master a lot quicker
0: yeah um i think that response with like one maybe one person handling all these things uh, would, would would cause some slight delays in terms of responding to these pull requests and merging. yeah
1: yeah exactly i mean um i i run a business and obviously i've got a family and there's a bunch of stuff around life in general away from computers that i I like to follow through on so the amount of hours in the day that i have for for things like that are definitely limited um and it's it's not because i i don't want to help and i don't want the contributions um far from it it's it's lovely to see people contributing it, it becomes very tough to juggle the um, the commitments and so you know one of the first things to go during a, a very busy time of life is you know handling pull requests on an open source project <laughs> so um, you know if anyone out there who has is listening to this uh, has an open PR please accept my apologies I will get to it at some point
0: <laughs> yeah yeah um, you you when when did you start your company um...
1: so the company originally started as a development consultancy that was in 2010 Um, Oh, okay. So that's yeah, it's quite a while ago. Um, But when I changed it to a security consultancy, that was in 2014. So it's coming up to it's pretty much four years on the button that the company's been running for. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So and we're still here, which is exciting. Um, I it was just me up until April last year, so April 2017. And in, in April, that's when I hired my My first guy, who is an Australian that lives in New South Wales. So he's he's about a 10-hour drive from where I live. He also works at home. So he and I tag team our projects together and we've been working together now for 15 months-ish. And it's it's been really good, really, really good having him on board.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But running, I think you're running the films anyways uh, for more years uh, but maybe I don't know if this question is more relevant uh, but do, do you do you still get time to actually work on maybe metapreters or any other open source uh, work because running yeah. a firm is not an easy one
1: that's no, that's a good question too the, the short answer is yes but it's a, um, it, it, a little bit more nuanced um, so like I said I still use Metasploit Metapreder during certain engagements and it's one of the, the many tools that we use like I mentioned before and so along the way I find that there are cases where the tool or the modules or, or whatever it happens to be don't quite match what I'm looking for or there might be a bug in one of them or there's a feature that's just not there. Um, and I think, okay, well, I could go and implement it over here as a separate tool or I could you know, I could build it into something else. But what makes the most sense is to add this feature to the interpreter payload or to add a new module to, to tweak an existing module. Um, And so if it's any of those latter cases where MSF and Meterpreter are involved, then I will on the fly modify the code so that it works and does what I want it to do in a production scenario. And I will submit a pull request for whatever it is that I've changed. And um, so the most recent example of that actually was adding basically a remote hash dump using Mimikatz's DC Sync. Mm -hmm. So I was in an environment where literally none of the hash dumping mechanisms for the DC were working. Um, Post modules would crash, interpreter sessions would crash for some reason. Um, I just couldn't find one that worked and I didn't really want to drop binaries on disk and do the hash dump on disk. So I extended the functionality around the Kiwi extension. Um, and then added some features to the PowerShell extension, which would allow you to just sort of call invoke um, DC sync as a PowerShell function baked into the Meterpreter extension. So that you could basically say, hey, I want you to replicate all of the hashes out of the DC using DC sync. Um, and that worked perfectly. So and that also forced me to change the way that some of the UI features worked so with the powershell extension there was no sort of streaming capability which means that if a command took a long period of time then metasploit would think that it's timed out and that the channel should be closed but mm-hmm. because these things can take a long time and you're dumping 10,000 hashes off the dc you know i needed to change it so that the the long commands would actually work so that's what i did change that exposed the DC Sync functionality and exposed it, uh, an, an extra bit of functionality that enumerated all of the accounts that were on the domain controller and then did a remote hash dump of those accounts. So there you go. That's, that's one example in recent times of something that I needed and that I built and then I pushed out to the open source world so that they could benefit from it too. But I guess to answer your question in a slightly different way, do I have the bandwidth right now to sit down and just go, I might just add something to my interpreter? The answer to that at the moment is no. <laughs> I, I just don't have the bandwidth for
0: that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I understand that. Um, great uh, great talking to you. Um, it was an amazing uh, time spent. A lot of knowledge, uh, a lot of inspirations. I think keep, uh, keep doing the same amazing work that you're doing. Um, I Thanks, think mate. Probably the whole community is definitely looking up to you.
1: No, I, I really appreciate that. And I'm, I'm very grateful that you reached out. It's, it's nice to be able to talk to people about the stuff that you do, and in the hope that, well, for one, I hope that people are more confident in reaching out and just saying hi for whatever reason. Um, and two, that, like I said, I'm, I'm just another guy like you. And any, anyone can do this if they, they sit down and put a bit of effort in. Um, there's a lot of people out there who know bits and pieces about all of these tools. And, you know, they can reach out to them or me and, and ask. And, and hopefully we can sort of breed or foster a more and more of a community around this and more and more people will contribute and more and more people will get involved and, and more and more people will be less scared to, to sort of raise their heads and say, hey, I can, I can do a thing um, without the fear of, uh, of looking like a, a noob or, or being shut down by someone who's a, an apparent insect rock star. So, um, you know, big big thumbs up. I, I do appreciate you reaching out. It's been really nice talking to you as well. And, um, you know, if there's anything else you feel like chatting about, then let me know and um, you know, I'd be even more than happy to chat again.
0: Yep, uh, surely. Thank, thanks so much for your time.
1: No worries, man. You enjoy the rest of your day.
0: Yep, you too. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the podcast. That was OJ Reeves, The Colonial. If any of our listeners are thinking about reaching out to the tool authors to discuss about something, maybe some some questions, some some troubleshooting issues uh, or whatnot, uh, feel free to reach out to them. They are so approachable. We'll learn together after all. Uh, Thanks everyone for listening to the podcast. I'll see you in the next episode with another amazing tool authors. Bye-bye.